I love studying faith and science, and I'd heard about Father Lemaitre. I love studying Catholic scientists, and often mm. have my students do poster projects on Catholic scientists. And so I just wanted to learn more about him, and the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn, and just realized he had a deep Thomistic understanding mm -hmm. of how faith and science go together. And he could do science, understanding the way the world works and realizing that that glorifies God. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné. And today we are joined by Sister Mary Elizabeth Miriam, a Dominican sister of the uh, Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great. So it's so great to have you on the show, sister, and you're uh, giving uh, the annual Paula Castagnet lectures mm -hmm. at Ave Maria University on faith and science. And so we're so glad to have you here on the show uh, this year. And uh, you know, it's really fascinating, right? So you're a religious sister. Yes. Um, and you also have a PhD in electrical engineering, mm -hmm. right? So you've really gone deep into both, right, very deep into kind of right faith, mm -hmm. and yet also deep into this scientific understanding of the world. Yes. Right. And uh, so we just wanted to get a chance to talk today. Uh, and, and just to kind of begin, maybe I think a lot of Maybe young people, sometimes you hear it like in school or high schools or colleges, and I know you've worked, you teach now in a Catholic high school, right? St. Michael the yes. Archangel in Missouri, and, uh, and have also done a lot of work in colleges and universities. Uh, a lot of people, I think, just have this vague sense that, uh, you know, science, modern science has somehow disproved Christianity. Modern science is in conflict with Christianity. Uh, maybe this is through evolution, cosmology, uh, right? How would you how would you respond to uh, somebody comes up to you and asks you that question? It's not possible for them to be in conflict because God is the author of all that exists, and so like we know, truth can't contradict truth. Mm -hmm. So what science, authentic science, discovers about the universe has to be in accord with what our faith teaches us. Yes, yes, yes. It's um, actually, I think it was uh, Einstein who said that when we discover the very intelligibility mm. of the universe, there must be a mind behind the universe because we don't see the world as, we see the world as intelligible, right? And so I just think that's a beautiful thing. Science itself is fundamentally, right, means the word to know. Yes. And so we're not simply manipulating things. We're coming to know and understand the underlying principles. And it's those underlying principles that in a way are almost kind of like the divine fingerprints, if you want to put it, you know, on the uh, on, on the universe and right where their fingerprints. Right. There's a crime. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a criminal. And in those fingerprints of the universe, so to speak, we see somehow not all of God, obviously, but we do see a little bit of the mind of God as displayed in yes. his creation. Yes, we can see the beauty of creation, yes. the truth of creation. So we know, and the, as you said, the intelligibility, the, the, that there is understandable, and it's understandable to us humans. Yeah. There has to be a reason for that. Mm -hmm. We know that yeah, God yeah. is the creator. Right, yeah, and some of the science is based upon the idea that there is a, an underlying rationality to the universe that often exceeds our ability to understand mm -hmm. it, which again also kind of points to the idea that whatever mind behind the universe must be bigger than ours. Yes, yes. Right. You can't do science without trusting that the universe is intelligible. Wow, how, how, how beautifully put. So uh, to continue, uh, you're gonna be, one, one of your lectures uh, that you'll be delivering as part of the series is on, uh, it's on the Big Bang, yes. right? Uh, creation and God's action and Right, you, you you tell a fascinating story about that. That right, the Big Bang was developed by a Catholic priest. That's who's also right. right one of the great cosmologists of the 20th century. And right, and even before we talk a little bit more about that, uh, I just think it's interesting. Uh, somebody was I remember hearing uh, Steve Barr, who's written a fair amount on yes. uh, theology and science, mm -hmm. who's a physicist, um, but he talked about, I think it's something like out of the 25 major uh, 
um, in scientific discoveries of the last 400 years. I don't know, something like almost 20 were made by Catholics. That's awesome. Uh, it's, yeah. But I don't know exactly, but just some of them. Louis Pasteur, right, is a devout mm -hmm. Catholic Definitely. who comes up with microbiology and vaccination. Mm -hmm. Andre Marie Ampere basically mm -hmm. ends up developing the whole field of electromath magnetics, also a devout Catholic. Gregor Mendel, a Benedictine monk, develops yeah. our whole understanding of genetics. Al Alois Alzheimer, interestingly, mm -hmm. discovers, well, lo and behold, Alzheimer's dementia, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, you have Pascal Martin Mercier, who is a mathematician mm -hmm. who develops basically a whole new understanding of prime numbers. Uh, and even, I think sometimes when people think about, oh, the church is against science because the church uh, mm -hmm. criticized Galileo, one thing that's interesting is that Copernicus, who was the one who came up with the understanding yes. that the, the our solar system rotated around the sun and not the mm -hmm. earth, that was actually rejecting really fundamentally a Greek view of the universe, mm -hmm. which, which of course, the, the, the entire uh, developed world had accepted yes. until Copernicus, sorry, Copernicus, who was a Catholic, actually, right, so the, began to yes. come up with that. And then Galileo himself. Again, a Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, who develops a, a, a deeper understanding mm -hmm. of this idea. And yes, there were other churchmen who disagreed at times about what should be taught and how it should be taught. Um, but fundamentally, these are all views of people that are kind of devoutly Catholic. And I remember even Galileo uh, has this line where he says, right, the Bibles teach us how to get to heaven, not how the heavens go. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting. I noticed that later, and we can talk about this, that uh, George Lemaitre uh, actually um, also has a similar quote mm -hmm. where he says um, something along the lines of the Bible, that he says the church has always taught that the Bible teaches salvation, salvation, not science. That's right. Right. That's not, in a certain sense, we don't, we, science is wonderful, but we don't need it to solve the existential pain in our yes. hearts. Right. That is something only in a way God's mercy can solve. Mm -hmm. And that's the story of the Bible. Science is part of just the goodness of creation yes. that we can begin to understand. Uh, so just thought it's kind of fun just to kind of put it a little bit in that context yeah. that how do we, because again, if this is something that people almost like drink like water and it's mm -hmm. in the air, one idea won't, won't overcome it. So in a certain sense, the fact that Catholic soil, devout Catholic soil turns out to be a great place, yes, not only to, to, do science. to do science, but to advance science, mm -hmm. you know, how, how, how wonderful. So. Um, maybe could you tell a little bit about how did you get interested in George uh, Lemaitre and the and then a little bit of his story? Sure. I well, I love studying faith and science, and I'd heard about Father Lemaitre. I love studying Catholic scientists, and mm. often have my students do poster projects on Catholic scientists. And so I just wanted to learn more about him. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn, yeah. and just realized he had a deep, Thomistic understanding mm -hmm. of how faith and science go together, and he could freely do science, understanding the way the world works and realizing that that glorifies God, to study his creation and to learn about it. And then at the same time, as you said, he, he was a devout, he was very devout, he was a priest. Mm -hmm. um, he celebrated daily mass. Wow. Um, you think he had a daily holy hour or, or periods of prayer. He went to annual retreats. So mm -hmm. he lived a full Catholic faith life um, and made major physics discoveries. <laughs> wow. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's his time frame? When was he born? When did he do his um, you know, research? What were some of his major discoveries? He was born in the late 1800s, and then he passed away in 1966. So that's mm -hmm. the time frame he was living in. When he was about 10, I think Einstein had published his special theory of relativity. Um, and then 10 years later, Einstein published the general relativity, and that kind of took space, time, matter, energy, and showed the way they're interconnected, mm -hmm. which is a fundamental like shifts our worldview. And we don't think about it on our daily basis, but how they all interact with each other. And Einstein and most scientists at that time thought we had a static universe. Um, one that wasn't really changing. So Einstein actually uh, fudged his equations a little. They added in a, what's called the cosmological constant to to help make his equations match a static universe. Oh. Um, so what's it just real for, for listeners or viewers, what's a static universe? So a, a universe is not, it's not expanding, it's not contracting, it's, okay. it's kind of like the way it's always been. Mm -hmm. So if you observed it now, and if you observed it years from now or in the past, you'd kind of see the same sort of universe. Okay. You'd expect it to do the same sort of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
Several scientists looked at his equations and started pointing out, actually, the universe might be doing other things. It might be expanding. So one scientist came up with the fact that you could solve his equations and you could have, you know, an, an empty universe. Um, but that's not very practical. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't really match reality. Yeah. Um, so something that Father Lemaitre was able to do is to show how Einstein's equations actually work for our universe and oh. that our universe is expanding. Mm-hmm. So, in, so in that side, he is kind of maybe um, like a second gener, like the right the generation that's receiving Einstein's right great discoveries. Yes. Um, but great discoveries, right, are never total. They're never complete. They have to be received. And he's right applies his. And now, is this time is he a priest yet? Is he a physicist? <laughs> and if you don't, don't don't worry if you don't know, but uh, that basic idea is like so. He then is studying he, though as a physicist at the right in the major yes. universities in, in so Europe. He had yeah. he went to college, mm-hmm. and then World War One happened, so he actually served in World War One, mm-hmm. and then he came back. So he had started college. He started with engineering, mm-hmm. and he went back into math and physics. Mm-hmm. So. At that time, he was studying relativity when he was studying physics then. Um, Once he finished that degree, he entered seminary. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a special program because of the war for delayed vocations. He was able to complete seminary in three years. Um, And then he went on to get two PhD degrees. So (laughs) he was very academic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also interesting, too, that... I mean, that also just kind of shows something that, like, right, is that uh, bishops or, or religious orders allow people who are totally dedicated to the church and to God. Yes. And to and to ministry to mm-hmm. to you know, not not all the time, right? But sometimes to seek these advanced degrees. Yes. Yes. So he had the opportunity to study at Cambridge and then he actually studied here in the US. Um, he studied at Harvard Observatory, but um, since they weren't giving PhDs, he got the PhD through MIT. Okay. So Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And then so so this understanding is this is that when he is able to kind of save Einstein's equations by adjusting them, is that the moment in a way that he discovers like what we call now the Big Bang Theory? So it kind of happened in two phases. Okay. So he went back um, to Belgium, to University of Louvain Mm -hmm. and started teaching there. And then in 1927, he published in French um, his first major, what we consider now his like first major work about how the university is expanding and Einstein's Mm -hmm. equations. Um, not many people actually saw that article because it was in French in the Belgium art. And so Hubble, two years later, mm-hmm. publishes basically the same thing. And that's why we know Hubble's Law, okay. which has recently renamed Hubble Lemaitre Law. Oh, interesting. So to acknowledge the fact that Lemaitre actually had published it first mm-hmm. and just people hadn't realized. So that was republished. Eddington, was, which was one of his research advisors, was able to get it republished in an English journal um, in 1931. Mm-hmm. And that same year, Father Lemaitre, he had been you know, thinking about this. Well, if the universe, if you went forward in time, is expanding, what if you thought about going backwards in time? It would be contracting. What if you went back far enough? Everything, all of the matter in the whole universe, all of space. When I say the universe is expanding, I don't just mean things are getting farther apart. Like you have an empty stage and the actors are moving away from each other. I mean, the whole universe is expanding. Space itself is expanding. Uh, mm-hmm. The stage is expanding. Yeah. So if we went back in time, everything would be contracting. And so he was like, well, everything came back to an initial quanta or a few quantums, like an, a singularity. And it's so mind boggling. It's hard mm-hmm. for us to, con- to actually conceive. Um, yeah. The scientific community actually wasn't sure if they should believe this when mm-hmm. they first came up with it. Yeah. I heard that, I don't know if you, maybe you can say more, but I heard that at first, uh, they were suspicious because that sounded a. They 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 thought that this scientific theory was just a way of trying to um, say what Genesis already said. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Genesis right says right, you know, God said, "Let there be light," and He created everything. And so, at first, the Big Bang theory was actually almost was kind of somewhat not accepted because mm-hmm. it sounded too Christian, too Catholic. Yeah, you're exactly right, and. It's interesting because actually Father Lemaitre was very clear this did not come from his Catholic beliefs Mm -hmm. and that this was a purely scientific understanding of the world. And he distinguishes, he said, this is a beginning, but it's not creation. 
There was a uh, particularly Fred Hoyle um, proposed an alternative model of uh, a universe that was this called the steady state model. Mm-hmm. The universe not changing sizes. And in order to do this, he thought this was better than having a beginning. He said, um, well, the universe is expanding, but the density needs to be constant. And the only way for the density to be constant if space is expanding is new matter is actually coming into existence. So this was a simplified version of Fred Hoyle's alternative theory to Father Lemaitre's because he didn't like the idea of having a beginning because it sounded too Christian. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then what was the scientific discovery that kind of shifted the scientific consensus back in favor of? Yes. Uh, so they were able to realize, okay, if, if this really happened, if everything happened, there would be able to be um, like background radiation from the original event. Mm-hmm. And scientists were able to discover that background radiation to confirm Father Lemaitre's work. Yeah, so that is kind of a neat, uh, it's a neat little uh, vindication yes. of his of his work. And, um, and although we shouldn't try to, we don't want to conflate theology and science, right? We shouldn't um, be afraid of fi- following scientific discoveries, right? You know, even if they might sound to people as though they're, you know, uh, Christian. So, but you raise a, a very key distinction there yes. between be, the universe having a beginning and the universe being created. Um, could you say more about that distinction? Yes. Uh, let me give a, a little analogy first. So, one of the books I enjoy reading is The Lord of the Rings. And the beginning of the book starts with Bilbo, the hobbit, planning a birthday party. Um, well, that's the beginning of the book, but that doesn't explain the existence of the book. I need the author, Tolkien, mm-hmm. to explain the existence of the book. Now, this analogy is limited as, as all analogies because once the book exists, it, it doesn't need Tolkien to keep existing. But yeah. with contingent beings, which we are, mm-hmm. we're, we, we don't have to be. We can be or not be. And my parents didn't have to like meet and get married and I could not be here right now. Um, we need an, a cause outside of ourselves for our ongoing existence. So a beginning in time is when something starts, but creation is actually the the sustaining, the giving of being and sustaining in being, um, the sustaining in existence of somebody. Yeah, I, I think that example of the author is a, a very helpful one because you can also see that, uh, I think in your, I think you, you, you can also extend that to the idea of like, the time of the author doesn't really fit within the time of the story, yes. right? You know, it may have been years before between like um, he, when he writes the story, when he thinks and starts writing the story of the Bilbo of, of the birthday party, uh, it might've been four years before he actually then wrote about the, the um, fireworks mm-hmm. from Gandalf and the dragon coming yes. in, right? You know, or something like that. And, Right? It's just because they're, they're mm-hmm. not at the different levels. But the question is, within the story, I say it has its logic. It has yes. its inner meaning. And so it has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. It has a purpose. The story is real. Um, then you have the author, though, yes. that is clearly outside the story, bringing and thinking mm-hmm. these ideas. And then, of course, as the author, and that's why Tolkien would describe it writing as um, a myth making as a yes. sub creation because we create a story within God's larger creation. So, right, we still have to mimic mm-hmm. the basic r- reality of the real creation. Uh, but I think that is a really powerful idea. So, uh, I, I I know that when uh, Aquinas uh, would look at Aristotle's teaching on the idea that well, when we see things in the world. Uh, that are real. We see bunnies that cause other bunnies. We see yes. trees that cause other trees, right? You know, mm-hmm. they have seeds and then you get more trees. And where do things come from? They come from other things. And so, you know, Aristotle thought the world was eternal mm-hmm. and had lasted forever like this and still thought there needed to be a first cause, a primary yes. cause that somehow brought, like held all these things in being. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right. And, and, Aquinas would then say, even uh, when we see the natural world, we could imagine you still, even if the world were eternal, it would still need a creator. That's right. Because the world itself is still in a way secondary. So it turns out the world does have a beginning, Mm -hmm. which 
um, we believe from scripture, Aquinas teaches. Yes. Uh, and, you know, ironically now, science tends to hold a similar view at the beginning, but that's distinct from the idea that the creator is actually holding things in being is, right, uh, that, that, that the being that we receive, the order we receive is not an order that we generate. Mm-hmm. Right? Were, uh, it, in a way, it's like we're continually receiving existence. Yes. It's not just I received existence when I began to be. It's I'm receiving existence at this moment now, which yes. means God's that close to me right now. He's not some far distant God. Mm, he's mm-hmm. He's with me now. Yeah. So I think maybe when sometimes people think then about God as a creator, they sometimes think about this idea of like God as a watchmaker. If I see a watch, yes. there must be a watchmaker. Uh, God wound up the universe and then he kind of sets back and right. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of gave us the universe. He gave us our intelligence. We should figure it out on our own. How would you describe that uh, view of creation? To, to me, that, that gives creation a self-sufficiency, but that's, that's an illusion. Creation mm-hmm. is not self-sufficient. And we are dependent and we're continually dependent upon God. Mm-hmm. And I actually love this concept of dependence. Dependence in our world today is sometimes kind of like people don't want to be dependent. They want to be independent. But if you think about being dependent upon the one who loves you in the being, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Like (laughs) God is willing me into being right now. He's loving me, knowing me into being right now. And if he stopped thinking about me, I would just, I wouldn't die. I just would be annihilated. I just wouldn't exist. So I love the fact that I'm dependent upon God right now and that we don't have the watchmaker model, mm-hmm. that God is involved in every single, you know, every single moment of my being and also every single act. Yeah, that's uh, that's so well put. I like the the image that, uh, that in a way we want to be independent and maybe partly the reason why we want to be independent is because uh, in a way people often let us down. Yes. Right? And so this beautiful sense that when we're dependent upon God... <laughs> Right. God is the, in a way, the only one in a certain sense in whom we can completely trust yes. because, right, uh, he, he, he exists eternally. He yes. has, uh, he's all merciful, all powerful. All good. Right. Mm-hmm. He's the one in a way who can uh, completely hold us in. And, and, and in a way, this is something so we, it, we move there easily into a theological, religious understanding of God who has spoken to us and revealed his mercy. Yes. But this is already, in a way, revealed philosophically through the understanding of creation, which is that, right, um, I don't exist on my own. I yes. came from my parents. They came from their parents. They came from their parents, right? You know, you can't go back to all sorts of contingent beings, as you put yeah. it. There has to be, you know, a cause. And I think maybe one uh, thing I remember hearing uh, early on when I was studying faith and science is just this very simple idea that science can determine right changes. Science is very good at looking at how things change from one state to the next. Uh, and that's really amazing. And it's it incredible is. that not only are things happening um, randomly, but they're, they're intelligible patterns mm-hmm. and ordering that we can discover. Uh, but at the same time, creation is asking the question, right, not how do things change, but why is there something rather than nothing? Right. Why is there anything at all? Yes, definitely. And 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 that gets into then, even on the natural level, a certain sense of wonder, mm-hmm. right, and awe. Yeah. Uh, so let's um let's uh, take a quick break, and, and when we get back, let's uh, continue to discuss this uh, understanding about how is it that then, if God doesn't wind up the universe and just let it wind down, if God's constantly active, then how how do we understand God's action kind of in relationship to ours? Sounds good. You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show. Today, we are joined by Sister Mary Elizabeth Miriam, a member of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist from Ann Arbor, Florida. Uh, And we've been discussing faith and science, specifically 
the understanding of creation and the scientific theory of the Big Bang and uh, the Catholic priest, George Lemaitre, who uh, really uh, developed this and uh, discovered it. Uh, And so been talking about that understanding. And so again, thanks so much for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Excellent. So we're trying to get in a way, one of the difficulties I think is that like we understand changes. We understand how to take clay and make it into something else. We can imagine it. Uh, We understand how to make a, how to have a 3D printer and have it build something. We understand how to build a house. We're used to making things all the time. Creation is at the edge of making, right? It's the bringing into existence. It's not the, we we, we can't imagine it. It's at the edge (laughs) of our ability to comprehend, right? We really have to just affirm that these things that are, have received being they do not have perfect being they've received their being from perfect god and so i think it's so important to really remember that this is kind of it's something more than the the making of things that we are used to seeing that we can kind of comprehend how did it happen in a way there is no how to how creation happened right right? yes because change is a process yes and I think that, that sometimes we take the ideas of change and we try to apply them to creation. Yes. Change takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, so you take the clay and you have to push it and you have to pull it and you, you mold yeah. it. But creation doesn't take time. Creation's not a process. And God created ex nihilo with, out of nothing. He didn't yeah. start with nothing's not something pre-existing. And I really mean nothing. No, not just no matter, but no energy fields, no mm-hmm. space. No, mm-hmm. he, he created us on nothing. Um, yeah. And he... And the creation isn't just bringing into being, but that ongoing holding in existence. Yeah, like we right. Which is about. why we can continue to have changes now. Yes. That are that are real. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm really contributing, doing something, uh, and yet at the same time, God is also at the at the same time yeah. creating and holding in being because yeah. these are non-competitive. So. Uh, and, and you know it's wonderful as a you know as a Dominican and as, as a great student of Saint Thomas as, yes. as you are and uh, I'm a, a big fan of uh, Saint Thomas's theology as is the Church uh, that in a way his philosophical understandings mm-hmm. of creation help us kind of maybe I mean how would you say that this allows us how is it why is it Aquinas' understanding is particularly helpful for understanding in a way God's relation to the mm-hmm. world uh, in a way that maybe some, that there's some other ways of thinking about it that might get us into kind of trouble. Yes. Yes. I think when Aquinas thinks about God acting in the world, he he really means God acts in the world and all the time. We talked about the watchmaker model of God before where yeah. God kind of like sets up the world and like gives it the push start and then the world's on its own. And that's not Aquinas's view. But another view that's also not Aquinas' view, is almost the opposite. It's occasionalism. In oh. this view, mm-hmm. um, it looks like the creature does something, but really God's doing it all. So like, if you strike a match, you're actually not causing activation energy to be achieved or like the friction isn't really doing anything. Mm-hmm. God just happens to cause the fire when mm-hmm. you strike the match. Here, that, that would be God doing everything. And the creature actually not being a cause at all. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So the Thomistic perspective is it's both and so much of our Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, God works in and through us, but we can be real causes. God gives us our being, but he also gives us our nature and our ability to act. And in all of our acts, he is working so that we can act. Yeah, so I think it's uh, in Aquinas' Summa Theologiae in uh, the early parts of uh, the Summa. Anyway, he has this beautiful line where he talks about God gives to his creatures the dignity of causality. Yes. Um, C.S. Lewis has a wonderful mm-hmm. way of putting this in Mere Christianity, where he simply says, this is not a toy world. No, it's, it's a not real a world. Toy, it's a real world. And so our actions have real consequences. Yes. Um, when we do something, it really gets done. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do something, it, it doesn't really doesn't happen. happen yeah. right? If an earthquake happens, it really happens. All these things, both things happening well, and then also somewhat happening like not well. <laughs> Um, like, you know, when, when, uh, when things fall apart, mm-hmm. right? all of these things are happening properly be, in a way because of the created order. Yes. That is, you know, sometimes houses fall apart because they were built poorly. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're built poorly because people were confused. Other times they were built poorly because people took bribes, mm-hmm. right? Those things happen. Um, God's not actively making those things happen as though he's pulling strings as though no. it's a puppet. And yet at the same time, God is somehow holding in being yes. right, all of creation so that right, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, that this action that we see in the world is both uh, kind of the expression of God's goodness and mm-hmm. his action and order. And at the same time, also part of the right, bunnies cause bunnies. That's right. right? That's God right. is also call, holding the bunnies in being. But That's it's also right. true that the reason why you have little bunnies is because you have a mom and a papa bunny, at least yep. for a, a moment or a you know, little. I don't know if they raised probably their litters together or something. But you know what I mean? But it's like but this idea that so it, the, the, it's 100 percent the bunny. And 100% God. That's a very important way to, to put it. And I think two words or two terms can be helpful here, primary and secondary causality. Um, so both it's both God and the creature. God as primary cause yeah. and the creature as secondary cause. And we can see this in the world. Like I'll ask my students, like, what do saws do? And they're like, look at me like, cut wood? I was like, yeah, saws cut wood. Um, but they cut wood because you hold it and you move it back and forth on the wood. So you're the primary cause of the wood being cut. Mm-hmm. And the saw is the secondary cause yeah. of the wood being mm-hmm. cut. You know, similarly, when you, you know, if a child scribbles with a crayon, you know, the crayon makes marks, mm-hmm. but the child is also making marks. So yeah. it's both the child and the crayon having yeah. that action come to be. Yeah. So, so in a way, God, as you, as you're putting it here, as you're describing it through the, primary and secondary causality means the the world as we understand it is a world of secondary causes. Yes. Is that a way of, maybe is that a helpful yes. way of putting so it? So science can study secondary causes. Mm-hmm. Science can study the change that, that we cause, you know, and again, it's studying change. Science studies change. Yeah. Okay. So science in a way is investigating secondary causes and all of mm-hmm. these causes are at the same time because they're totally real. They are real. Right? And at the same time, they also uh, kind of give witness to on a philosophical or theological level, a primary cause. The primary cause is God. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the difficulties, uh, and I don't know, how would you respond to this, is I think sometimes when people think of like a first cause, was that maybe they'll describe it, or the primary cause, we immediately want to imagine it as the first in time, the first in sequence, That's the more beginning, like, mm-hmm. as you put it. How do we try to think about the primary as constantly always... Yes. Acting. I think the model you're describing is the domino model. Yeah. So someone sets up the dominoes and gives the first push. And that doesn't account for why the dominoes are still in existence. Mm-hmm. Why don't, why, what's holding the dominoes in being? Mm-hmm. So God's the one that holds us in being right now and gives us our natures and gives us our ability to act mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I, you know, maybe it's like in some ways, if you're thinking about uh, two models of, of how this could work, you could, I was thinking about maybe, you know, you could have like two people rowing in a boat, mm-hmm. right? That's the idea of, well, two people who are rowing in a boat, they're both contributing 50%. Yes. Right. Uh, and so they're in a way side by side. They're in a way in competition with one another. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be negative, right? One, But if one is stronger, maybe they should row more, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> and, and these good. sorts of things, right? And, uh, but I was also thinking about maybe another image would be something like the idea of a you know, if a flower is growing, the flower is genuinely growing on the flower's own. Yes. But the flower can also only grow because the sun is illuminating it. Mm-hmm. Right. Without the sun, the flower's like, not going to flower's grow. not going to grow. So, but the flower is genuinely growing. Mm-hmm. And and so it's not again. It, th- th- these are still creature. It's within creaturely. But there's something like yeah. that, so that the flower becomes more properly the flower when the sun illuminates it and yes. when it has water. So creatures uh, become more properly themselves the more they can turn, mm-hmm. to the extent they can, to God. To God. I think another uh, image that can help us understand like how we need God to hold us in being is one Frank Sheed uses of a mirror. So you can stand in front of a mirror, and the, your image doesn't appear in the mirror until you stand there. But as soon as you leave, your image goes away. The image can't isn't self-sufficient. It can't stay there on its own. You can't even just give it a push start 
to get it started and have it stay. Mm-hmm. You have to continually be there for the image to continually stay. So it's kind of like that with God in the world. We need God's continual presence in the world, acting in the world. You know, and, and there's a beautiful Psalm, uh, Psalm 19. Uh, and I want to just look, quote it or make sure that I get the quote right. But it just has this beautiful idea. The heavens are telling the glory mm. of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Uh, Right, the, he- the the heavens, the stars. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. This is right three thousand years ago, you know, or something <laughs> that this is being written, and yet still today we are we find the stars fascinating. We, do. we love to see, and the more we learn about the stars, we find them even more fascinating. They we realize they're like you know they have star nurseries where they're born <laughs> yes. and then they grow up and they become you know and then they eventually die. We realize they have life cycles. Mm-hmm. How wonderful! And then that only makes them even more fascinating, glorious, yeah. and so. Right, this basic idea that Dan today pours forth speech, night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out to all the earth. So there's this idea that the stars, and it's interesting, by the way, remember, if we think about the ancient world, mm-hmm. well, the ancient world well, was often thought that the stars and the planets were gods. Right. They were semi-divine. They had power and authority. They should be worshipped. Uh, the sun and the moon were often worshipped. Yes, uh, That's why in Genesis, they're just called the bigger light and the lesser light. Mm-hmm. They don't even get names because God's the only God, right? So in a way, here what we're saying is, no, the God, the, the, the created world is not a God. Yes. The created world, in a way, it doesn't speak, but it does. When you see the created order you're kind of hearing the speech of God. Of the creator. You when know? you look at a painting, you see something about the artist. Yeah. When yeah. you look at creation, you yeah. see something about yeah. the divine artist. Yeah. And then if you go back to Genesis, what does Genesis say? It's God speaks creation mm-hmm. into beings. But we sometimes think that happened in the past, but it's more that in creation, no. we hear yeah. God's voice. Uh, and then when you get to say John, in the, in the beginning, beginning was the word, word, right? In the beginning, yes. quoting Genesis, but in the beginning was the word, the very speech, the logos, the word of God, through whom God created the world, was with God, in, in God, God, and everything mm-hmm. that was made was made through him. Through him. Uh, so so this idea, in a way, of trying to see the world as not, not idolatrous, which is very dangerous, mm-hmm. as though it's divine, that would be... Because it just turns out planets are fun and they're great to look at, but yes. they, just, they, they can't save us. No. They, they, can't, they can't forgive <laughs> our sins and they no. can't save us. Um, so we need to discover they are only icons. They are only images, yes. as you put it, right? They're not God. Right. Uh, and that's very important. But I think in a way today, maybe people might be, although who knows, there are a lot of people actually who you know follow astrology a lot and mm-hmm. who might want to kind of see the planets as gods. And uh, what is this? I don't remember who it was, but somebody said like once we people stop believing in, in kind of in, in, in creedal faith, they'll kind of, it's, they'll believe in anything almost, you know. Mm. Uh, but but there's also a, a deep sense in which kind of people who want to see the universe as all there is, yes. it's kind of almost an, it's, it's not a worship, but it is kind of, it's kind of like a soft idolatry because what you're saying mm. is the highest thing is not yeah. God. It's not even my logos, my intellect. No. It's not human love. The highest thing there is, is kind of, dirt following um yeah. cosmic dirt following cosmic principles yes it's matter and and in a way that is that is like that's kind of like the same thing so it's thinking that's all there is rather than saying it is wonderful yes right and, and what a beautiful thing that people dedicate their lives to studying it it's yeah uh, science is worth yeah. studying and god made it and it he yeah. made it good and it's yeah. it's a joy to be able to study absolutely but in a sense in which it's speaking for it so i, I think it's just a helpful way of of again, God didn't just speak creation into being at the beginning, but He continues to speak it. And if we listen to creation, we can kind of almost mm-hmm. hear His word. Yeah, this is and this is the weird sense in which Aquinas. Maybe you could talk a little bit about this. Aquinas is not a pantheist no. um, at all. But on the other hand, if you read Aquinas a little bit, you could almost think he's a pantheist. Would you just say a word about well, that? I think I want to go back to what you were talking about—the models of like how Christianity and the Judeo-Christian heritage yeah. have helped us to real to 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 say that okay the sun's not a god the moon's not a god and we have to be careful that we don't 
try to put God into the world as a force yes. acting among the world. Because yeah. so often that's our tendency when we're thinking about science and faith is, well, where's God acting in the world? Is he acting in the electron spin? Is he acting in chance? Is he acting in, and it's like, that's making God another force within the world yeah. and kind of lowering him to the level of a creature. And just something else that's like you said, a puppet, yeah. a puppeteer mm -hmm. pushing and pulling strings. Um, but but God transcends the world. Mm -hmm. So he's outside of the world and holding it into being. So I think that that's yeah. an important distinction. Yeah. And so because he's so transcendent, he can also then be so imminent. imminent. Yeah. So he's present in the very being yeah. of the creature. Right. So like we um, can be next to each other. Yes. And that's as close as creatures can get. Mm -hmm. But God can work in my very nature. Yes. So that's way yeah. closer. And he can only do that yeah. because he's transcendent. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where Aquinas will say that God's God's existence is is in things. Right. Yes. Our, the, the very being we have, the shape that we have, the form, the the the, the nature we have is actually um, not our own. Right. It's it's kind of yes. obvious in a way that you know the if you look at a building, a building doesn't have its own kind of architectural plan. It, mm -hmm. receives it receives that plan from the it. architect. So the very nature that I have is something that I receive um, from God in a way is actively being thought. So God is intimately present to me, not only in my being, um, but in a way in the kind of being that I have. Yes. Right. And so in a certain sense, each created thing, we can say, yes, that is not God. But on the other hand, God is in that thing, in that thing, being the kind of thing it is. Yes. Right. Whether mm -hmm. or not this is so, the God is not, um, the bird is genuinely flying, right? The God is not, flying. so to speak, <laughs> holding the bird in there. And yet, on the other hand, there's also a certain sense in which God is present in the yes. bird's ability to fly. Yes. Which is, I mean, it's just fascinating and amazing. This goes to the co the four causes and of Aristotle, which yeah. St. Thomas took, and the you know, material cause. God is not our material cause because mm -hmm. God's pure spirit yes. um, and he makes everything out of nothing. But there's formal cause, efficient cause, final cause. And we've talked about efficient cause already when we talk about yeah. primary and secondary causality and how we can act mm -hmm. um, because God's acting in and through us. And then you were just bringing up formal cause. God is our exemplar cause. You know, he, mm -hmm. you know, we imitate him, you know, he gives us the ability to be causes. So we are actually like, that's a gift, a participation in his causality um, through that. And then he's the final cause. Like he's our goal, our purpose, our all. Like, yeah. and especially for, well, for all of creation, but especially for us rational mm -hmm. creatures, he wants us to come, you know, to be in communion with him. And that's, that's really the ultimate, the ultimate of all yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. So, now, Lamentra, by the way, speaks a little bit about this, doesn't he? He says like the idea that yes, there's, a big bang, there's a uh, cosmic explosion that is our very universe. But he also says that view is compatible with the idea that God organizes or somehow is the principle of all that. And yet, right, I mean, because I think some people, once they start thinking about four billion, 14 billion years yeah. old, hundreds of billions of galaxies, you know, just, I think it was Carl Sagan who used to talk about billions and billions of stars and billions and billions of galaxies as though somehow you know, like he had also discovered the insignificance of humanity, right? Which, of course, it's funny. No. It's right in all of the Psalms. <laughs> Everyone's already figured out that we're pretty insignificant. Uh, and I think it's Psalm 8, right, that says, right, what is, when I look at the heavens and this moon and the stars, right, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yes. Right? And yet you have made him, you know, yes. that yet you are. So how does, you know, Father Lemaitre, right, this brilliant physicist, show that this understanding in a way of God's, of the cosmic history. Yeah, I mean, I think what um, you is just- Is somehow connected to us. I think what you just brought up actually made me think of the incarnation and Father Lemaitre yeah. mentions, you know, about that and how like God does take care of us and so much that God became man. Mm -hmm. Like that's how much he loves us. He wants us to know who he is yeah. and he's gonna come up with a way for us to be able to understand who he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's in, in a way, all of creation speaks God, mm -hmm. right? And therefore, in you know you want to put in the garden god we we in the garden we could we would have been able to un hear god in creation but because of sin creation yeah. becomes dark our, our hearts become dark we no longer yeah. speak we no longer have ears to no. hear or eyes to see so what does jesus do in a lot of his healings he gives people sight yes. and hearing he lets us speak right and so he has to kind of recover us in this understanding yes. 
so that now, right, in the incarnation, God does what we need through sin is we rediscover this communion, this communion with, with God. And, you know, one theme that I love, and the Catechism talks about this in uh, paragraph 302, and I, I just, when I've taught this theme, I, I've found it very helpful, is that it says that God did not create the world perfect. He did not create it complete. He not created complete. it in a state of journeying, in statu vie, in a state of journeying. Uh, could you explain that or just say a little bit about that? And how does that help us understand maybe both the, the cosmic evolution of the yes. universe and, and even maybe the presence of suffering? Yes, I mean, I just love I love that passage in the in the catechism because it shows that God made us causes and that we're able to act. And you think about Father the Matrix discovery with the Big Bang and that the universe has not always been the way we observe it today. And he talks about the initial beginnings of the universe, how it's so, so inconceivable. You know, we're trying to understand it with modern yes. physics, mm -hmm. and it just acts very differently. But God gave all of the matter and the energy the nature that it could come to where we are now. Yeah. And so we can see it's maybe from the secondary causes you may not or you may not see on that level the directedness, but when we look at God's level, we see it's totally directed to human life. Mm -hmm. It to he wanted rational creatures. And and God's love for us isn't just general, like, oh I want humans, but yeah. he wants us individually and, and personally. Wow. And I think that that's mm -hmm. that's important. And Father the Major talks about the Christian researcher is always God's child when he's looking under the microscope, when he's doing any daily activity, and that importance of the personal relationship. And then I think, yeah, with suffering, um, that's a really big question, right? Like, And there's no ultimate answer. The cross is the best yeah. that we can come to. But thinking philosophically, if we have contingent beings, then they can actually do stuff. If I'm going to actually be able to do something, um, I'm gonna, I can change things. Well, if I can change things, that means I can cause something to be. I can also cause something to stop. So, I mean, this could be the lunch I'm about to have. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm nourished. The food disappears. Um, yeah. it, I mean, it, it could be natural disasters, you know, like mm -hmm. forest fires or whatever. But then you could think about the new life that comes and the life cycle of a, fire, of a forest. Um, so whenever there's contingent being that can actually cause stuff, yeah. you have that possibility of... Um, physical evil, mm -hmm. which is aside mm -hmm. from yeah, moral evil. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, well, anyway, thank you uh, so much for that. And uh, maybe just to, you know, uh, shift gears a bit to uh, as we kind of begin to kind of work towards our conclusion. Now, you teach uh, high school at I the do. moment, and uh, you're also working with the, I think it's called Open Light Media, uh, which is a organization for trying to help domestic evolution so, an understanding of this. Would you so, want to say a little bit mm -hmm. more about the work you're doing? Certainly. Today? So Open Light Media is the publishing group for my community. Okay. And then Atomistic Evolution is a group I'm also working with where we're trying to take Catholic principles, Thomistic mm -hmm. principles, and how to explain evolution in a Catholic setting. Mm -hmm. And taking the principles we've been talking about today yeah. with primary and secondary causality and the fact that God sustains us in being as and is always involved in what yeah. we're doing, but also gives his creation the ability to act and, and to yeah. do stuff. And mm -hmm. the the fact that the world is in a state of journeying and taking those principles and helping to communicate them to youth today. That's great. And is there maybe one, one last, if you had to kind of summarize, maybe people who maybe are kind of sympathetic with these ideas, but they might have, you know, a high schooler or a college student. Um, what would you say would be a, uh, maybe either a resource they could look at or 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 the sort of questioning when you get these sorts of questions how do you try to help people understand them i mean i think the catechism is always a great place to go like some of the quotes that yeah. we've been talking about um and then catechism and church documents are always wonderful places yes. to go but there is a lot of work with um our open light media that has a lot of resources mm -hmm. uh the dominican friars have a lot of resources online yeah. so there's just so many things electronically now. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, well, uh, again, thanks so much. I want to ask you just three quick questions as we uh, finish up our show. Uh, first, what's your what's a book you've been reading? Oh, I've been reading Father Michael Dodd's Unlocking Divine Action, which really takes oh. all of these principles and applies it to mm -hmm. um, the science of today. So oh, that's, that's, and what was it? So that's uh, Father Michael Dodd's and Unlocking divine action. I see. So kind of that sense in which God's action is not in competition with ours, but yes. is the very source. Kind of source of mm -hmm. our acting and uh, 
that's really that's that's great. And uh, second thing, um, obviously, as a religious sister, I'm sure you have many uh, you know practices every day. Maybe what's one practice that you uh, find uh, helps you to you know draw closer to God? Yeah. Well, of course, at Eucharistic Adoration, I mean, we have daily Holy Hour, so that's mm-hmm. certainly. And then in terms of like a shorter one, I just I love the Anima Christi prayer. Mm. So that is that is a beautiful one, um, and that's a. Anyway, it's a great one. I, I find it's beautiful too. It has that has that line in there where he says, "Intra tua vulnera abscondeme," right? Within your wounds, hide me. Uh, yes. Right? It's kind of like it's strange as, but yes, the world is beautiful, and yes, the world is amazing, and the world is filled with suffering. And yes. so, when God comes to us, He says, "I'm going to make myself vulnerable for mm. you, vulnerable." Yes. You know that sense? I'm yes. going to make myself woundable for you because I know you are wounded. Yeah. Right. And I just, I, anyway, I always, I, mm-hmm. anyway, it's just such a beautiful uh, prayer. And I, I love the image of those wounds being the access to his heart. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's, that's wonderful. And uh, finally, um, what's maybe a, what's a view or like a belief you held about God uh, mm-hmm. that you later discovered, uh, you know, that was kind of false and you, what was the truth you discovered? I think it's kind of what we've been talking about today with, not understanding how actively involved, how close God is to me all the time. Like I thought like, yeah, God's involved in the world and like he can do miracles, Mm -hmm. but they're kind of like interventions into the world. They're like against the world, but that's not what a miracle is. Mm -hmm. A miracle, God's causing something without the normal secondary causality. Mm -hmm. It could be beyond or within the scope of creatures, but he's doing it without his creatures. Mm -hmm. But that's not contrary to nature because he's the author of nature. So I think that's one of the one of the things I learned. Oh, that's beautifully put. Uh, well, uh, Sister Mary Elizabeth uh, Miriam, uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Um, for people who are interested in the uh, Open Light Media, they can go to our website, openlightmedia.com, and, and they can search for evolution there, and they'll find the Thomistic Evolution site. Well, excellent, and uh, thank you for all your work, for your witness, and for your prayers, and. Uh, all your teaching, and uh, thanks so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.